0: How's everyone doing this morning? Good. That was kind of muted, but that's fine. <laughs> Happy Mother's Day to everybody. Um, so that brings to mind a story I know. Uh, there was a little girl sitting in the kitchen, and um, she was sitting in the floor just kind of playing, watching as her mom was doing a bunch of stuff, uh, washing some dishes, preparing dinner, like doing all these different things that you know moms do. And she's watching, and, and finally she kind of looks up and looks at her. And you can tell like her wheels are turning and she's really thinking. And so she says, mom, why are a couple of your hairs white now? And so, yeah, and so, uh, so the mom, you know, she gives that little smile that you give when a kid says something that you kind of wish they didn't say, but they say whatever they want. And uh, so she she's just kind of looks down and then thinks, and then she's like, you know what? Every time you don't listen and you misbehave, one of my hairs turns white. And so the little girl, like, she, she thinks for a second, and again, she turns it over, and she, her eyes get really wide. And her mom, like, looks and sees, and she starts to feel guilty. She's like, oh, no, maybe I shouldn't have said that. Like, I was just kidding. And so before she can say that she's kidding, though, the little girl says, wow, you must have been a real bad kid because all grandma's hairs are white. <laughs> so... We are continuing the Alive series today, and what we've been doing is going through the days of Jesus between the resurrection and the ascension. And so today, one of the things I'm going to talk about is the Great Commission, and I'll get a lot more into that, but it's so amazing to think about. Uh, Last week, I spoke about Peter and how Jesus spoke to him and took time out. It's so amazing to think about that even after he sacrificed everything, his life, his time, his blood for us, he still came back to earth and took time with his followers, took time to, to prepare them, took time to, to give us things, to look at as examples, uh, to hear his truth, and it's so amazing, just the, the pure amount of love and hope that he brings, even when he didn't really have to, like after he came back, he could have just been like, okay, now it's on you guys and left, but he spent so much time still bringing it, and it's so amazing. And so I want to go to uh, Matthew 28, 16 through 20. Then the 11 disciples left for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some of them doubted. I want to stop there for a second. Uh, They were meeting on a mountain, and it was a prearranged thing, It may have been something where he had said all along, hey, if we ever get separated, if you ever need this, if we ever need to meet and you haven't talked to me for a while, go to this mountain. Uh, It may have just been at one of the previous meetings, he said, hey, you know, at this time and date, we're going to go to this mountain. Um, There's a lot of theory as to what the mountain is. A lot of people think it's Mount Tabor. I know that matters a lot to you guys, the geographics of the mountain. But the reason I bring that up is because for me, I like to believe that it's Mount Eremos. Uh, and if you don't know what that is, don't feel bad. I didn't know that until I looked it up to see which mountain this was. But that is where the Sermon on the Mount was given. And so I knew Sermon on the Mount. And so that's, I like to think that's where it was. And Jesus is like, we're coming back here to have this talk. Because this is where he gave so much. Just an amazing uh, amount of information and love and grace through that message. But either way, as soon as they get there, they worship him. And this wasn't the first meeting since he'd been back. Um, and with each meeting, I would imagine it felt a little more real. And so that's why it can be kind of weird when we see that part, some of them doubt it. Now we know the story of Doubting Thomas, we've talked about it, everybody kind of remembers that name and he's kind of been saddled with that his whole life. Uh, but it's so odd to think, how in the world, even after They watched as he died and then saw him come back multiple times because, again, this wasn't the first meeting. How could they doubt? Well, for some, uh, if you look in Greek, the word doubt, it means to hesitate. Uh, It it means to question. It means to kind of wonder, in a way, uh, to be uncertain. Now, I don't think they were doing that about Jesus. I think it was a little bit of... Is this too good to be true? Because again, this wasn't the first time they'd met since he came back. So with each time, they're like, this feels like it used to. Is this going to continue? Are we going to have him? Is he really back for good? Is this what our life is going to be? This is so amazing. How can can we do this? And then there was also that was mixed in with most of them, all of them, but John ran. We know what Peter did. We know what Thomas did. We know that all of them had problems in their lives. And so a little bit of self-doubt. And a little bit of self, like, why are we able to be here with him? <laughs> we have messed up so many times. How in the world are we so lucky, so blessed to be here with the Lord who came back talking to us and preparing with us and preaching with us? And it's so amazing. But regardless of the reasons for their doubt, as the capital C church, we have such a weird relationship with that word. Um, because as we grow up, it's almost treated as a a bad word, a a dirty word, and you don't want to say that publicly. You don't want to ever say, well, I have doubts, or I've had doubts, or I've thought this, I've wondered this, I've questioned this. But when we are afraid to admit it, when we are afraid to talk about it, that's actually what feeds it. That's actually what makes it worse and, and makes it harder to overcome, I have a quote here. Faith and doubt go hand in hand. They are complementaries. One who never doubts will never truly believe. Now, that seems like an odd statement, but I would imagine most of us here, a good portion of us here, were raised in church or have been going for a long time, or at least were raised to believe or with an understanding. Uh, Of who Jesus was, regardless of whether we followed or not, we all kind of were raised, for the most part, with that kind of idea, with that kind of thought. And that's an awesome thing. It's a a strong foundation. It's very important. Um, Regardless of whether it was as a kid or as an adult, a a strong foundation is, is very important. But there's more to it than that. There's more to it than that. Because at some point, we have to make our own choices. We have to make our own decisions. And you can have the most amazing, wonderful Christian mom or or dad or, or grandparent or whatever, but you cannot live their faith. You have to, at some point, make your own choice. Blind faith is never something that works out long term. And that's what this means. It means that at some point you have doubts. At some point you have questions. And then you ask them. You talk about them. You you seek the answers. You seek your own relationship. When I was in college a long time ago, before most of you were born, (laughs) I've held up okay. When I was in college, uh, I was still a Christian. I was raised to be a Christian. I was raised to be in church every single time. But I stopped going. Now, this was before live stream, so I didn't really have any church in my life. I prayed, and I read the Bible. I did devotions, but I just didn't go. And it wasn't this rebellious thing. It was just I wanted to sleep in on Sundays. And at the time, as it's first starting, I'm like, yeah, you know, it is what it is. I'm still a Christian. I'm still strong. You know, I'm still doing this. But it got darker and darker and sadder and sadder, and it felt worse and worse. And I realized just because My great-grandma had had me in church every single time the church doors were open from the time I was 13 months old. I had to now make the choice myself. I had to now find my way to church. I had to find my faith. And so I did, and I learned from that. I had to choose for myself. You see, doubt doesn't mean giving up. And we feel like that sometimes. And sometimes the reason we don't talk about it isn't because we're afraid of what other people say, although that's often a part of it. It's because we feel ashamed, especially if God's done a lot in our lives, and I believe that he's done a lot in each of our lives. It's like, how can I doubt now? How can I doubt his call now? How can I doubt the gifts that he has for me? How can I doubt the call he has for me? How can I doubt why this would happen? But it does not mean giving up. It means seeking. It means that you have this chance to learn more, to grow more, to have more hope, to to, to find him. And if you feel it at any point, talk about it. Again, don't cover it up. Don't hide it under a bushel. Don't, Don't put it away and say, this will just go away on its own because that'll grow. But talk about it. Pray about it. Go to someone. Learn, grow. Use it as an opportunity to find more faith. I want to continue on. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you, and be sure of this I am with you always, even to the end of the age. You see, when Jesus said those words, and we know that as the Great Commission, he knew that some of them were doubting. He knew that they ran out of fear, out of worry, out of concern, out of whatever. He knew everything in their hearts, everything in their past, and yet he still gave that command, gave that commission, gave that chance to serve him. And all authority was given to him. All authority. You see, he's God. He can create, he can can restore, he, he can resurrect. He can do literally anything. He has all of the power, all of the authority in the entire world. And yet he chose them. And he chooses us. He can do it himself. Sometimes it's so much easier to do things yourself. This past week, I bought Beatrice her first, shocking, I brought up Beatrice, bought Beatrice her first non-Duplo Lego set. And I promised her, it was a unicorn, and I promised her Uh, That I would help her build it when we got back to her home. And so I did, and you know, she's like, hey, can I do this? And I, you know, I'm helping. It's very hard. She's smart and she was doing a good job, but I do Legos myself, and so I'm like, oh, it'd be so much quicker if I did this. And I had that thought, It, it would be so much easier, but I kept letting her help not because I'm special, but because I see her as special. I'm like, I want to give her this opportunity. That's what Jesus sees with us. It'd be so much easier for him to stand here and do this. It'd be so much easier for him to just do everything because he can be everywhere at once. But he wants us to have a part in it. That's so amazing. That is so cool. Sean mentioned that that we get Something out of volunteering, and it's so true, and Jesus knows that. He knows so much more than we do, and so that's why he gave this commission. And he had all of this authority, and he could have sent anyone. He could have done anything. But he looked at these disciples, these same disciples who had failed time after time, and he looks at us, these same us's that have failed time after time, and he said, go. Go with my authority. Go with Jesus' authority, with His confidence, with His courage. Go and make disciples, not converts, but disciples. And not with fear, not with anger, but go with His love. Go with His grace. Go with His truth. Go with His peace. And it's so powerful. Because again, He had every ounce of authority and power. And yet he looks at us and at the disciples and said, I have a role for you. You get to be a part of this. You get to to be with me. And it's so cool. And he talks about disciples, again, not converts. And disciples aren't spontaneous. They're taught. You learn over time. Everyone here who is a disciple, everyone here who now teaches or volunteers or helps or has ever witnessed, when you first became a Christian, you didn't immediately know how to do all that. When I first became a Christian, I had no idea I would ever stand here. Not just because I never thought I'd be in Ohio, but because I was terrified of all of this. But you learn. And you grow and you seek and he keeps giving and he keeps giving and he keeps giving. And look at the process for each of the disciples just there. I love talking about Peter and I've done it a lot, but but look at him, how up and down he was and how much he he would be right sometimes and then he'd be super loud wrong sometimes. And he would be at the forefront of I'm going to fight for you and then I don't even know you. And yet over time, through the grace of God, through the teaching of Jesus, he became such a strong disciple that he then helped create and teach other disciples. And he started churches, and he talked all the time, and he helped people see what he had seen. And Jesus goes on to say, of all nations. Now, this is huge. For us, we've all grown up with the idea that everyone has a chance to be a Christian. Every nation, it's called, every person has this chance. At this time, that was super controversial to say. For him to say everyone, not just Israel, not just the Jewish followers. He said everyone. And the disciples probably heard that and their eyes got real wide like the little girl on the floor. And yet, with all authority, with all power, he said, guys... This isn't a club. This is a chance for everyone to have what you have. And so he calls them. He commissions them. He says, go and teach. Teach like Jesus taught. And look at everything he said and did in the Gospels. It's so cool to see the parables that he told. The way that he had patience for people that it'd be hard to have patience for. He taught, and he taught, and he exemplified, and he helped, and he healed. And he said, now go and do that, guys. I've shown you how. And if I stopped there, if he had stopped there, it would still be a great commission. And it would still be powerful because he said, in all my authority, I send you. But he goes one step further like he always goes one step further. And he says, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. That phrase with the adverb of always is only found there in the New Testament. And it means so much more than even we think. Because I think sometimes we will say to someone, I'll always be there for you. And we mean it. Where they can call or they can seek us. uh, But there are times where maybe uh, we're asleep and we can't answer the phone. Or... We're at work and we can't get to them or something. What he says and the full translation of that is the whole of every single day. That means there's not a single second that passes that he's not with us. So he didn't just say, hey, go and do this because I've shown you how. Go and do this because I have the authority and the power to call you. Go and do this because you should, because it's the best, because you you can help people. That would have been enough. That's what we would have done. But he says, go and do this. And every single second, whether you have doubts or not, whether you're doing well or you're doing poorly, whether you're happy or sad, every single second I go with you. How amazing is that? How, how, how much power does that give us? How much courage? How much confidence? It's so amazing, so powerful. Now, I think sometimes we hear that and we know it. We believe it because Jesus said it. We believe everything Jesus said. We know that. But we kind of will add the but there. Yeah, I I know that he says this and I know it's true. But I'm just not ready to to help people. Like, I I can't go to Family Promise. I can't help with children. I can't help with tech. I, I, I can't be there for someone. I can't pray with somebody. I can't pray for somebody. There are better people for that. Now first, again, think about who he's talking to. Peter literally betrayed him. Probably that's worse than anything any of us have done. Peter literally betrayed him, but he's talking to Peter. Thomas doubted him to his face, but he's talking to Thomas. All the rest, but John ran. But he's talking to them. None of them felt ready. But we don't have to be ready. Because there's never going to be a point that we have all the answers because we just can't have all the answers. And I think sometimes we have that fear. It's like, I can't really talk to this person. I can't help this person because I don't know all the answers. You don't. Nobody does except him. And yet he said, I go with you. Which means he helps us. He, he, he helps our, our, our effect, our impact to matter. Second... Each of us is in some ways a specialist. Now, some of us are very proud that I said that, and you're going to write that down, and that's what you're going to remember today. And you're going to take that home, and the next time you have an argument with your your husband or wife, you're going to be like, I'm a specialist. Now, God's work would happen without any of us. He does not need us. In some ways, that makes it so much more amazing that he calls us because he could do this. It will get done. His plan, perfect. His will, it's happening no matter what we think or do. But each of us is kind of a specialist in that each of us, even though we can't answer everything, we have this opportunity. We have this chance because we each understand different things. We each have different specialties. We each have different gifts. We each have different people that will listen to us. Uh, I have a quote from Mr. Rogers to kind of emphasize this. Before I read that, I talk about three people the most. Well, not counting Beatrice. <laughs> I talk about three Christian leaders the most. Mr. Rogers, Billy Graham, and C.S. Lewis. This isn't a surprise if you've ever listened to me more than once. But each of those three are heroes of mine in the faith. And I see them as three of the, the strongest disciples post Disciples, you know what I'm saying? And so, Mr. Rogers, he did so much to to bring the message to the world, to show that it's applicable in in everyday life, to show children kindness and hope and all of these things. Billy Graham preached to packed out places and he was so good at speaking. C.S. Lewis, he could speak and he could do some things. He wrote to children, but his writing is so powerful. He brought to mind so many questions. Each of them is special. Each of them followed his call. Now, if you switch them up and you make Billy Graham the writer instead of C.S. Lewis, he would have done fine. He would have been able to write. He wrote some books. But something would have been missing because he saw things differently. And his voice wouldn't have been out there. And he did such a good job with his sermons. If you make Mr. Rogers the preacher... Well, he was training to be a preacher. He could talk, but he was soft-spoken and kind and just different in how he talked. And the children needed to hear that, and something would have been different. And he would have had an impact. He would have had a church. He would have done something because he trusted God, but it just would have been not quite what it was. And you make C.S. Lewis the kid's person. Now, taking aside that TV didn't really exist for him, He focused more on how to overcome doubts and how being a Christian isn't easy. Now, that's not necessarily what you want to focus on at the beginning of kids' ministries. You don't want to start with, hey guys, welcome welcome, children, let's talk about the Trinity and how hard it is to be a Christian. Their eyes are going to glaze over it. But because each of them followed God, he had this perfect path for them. And each of them could have said, I'm not prepared for this, but they found where they were prepared. They each were specialists. And so Mr. Rogers says, if you could only sense how important you are to the lives of those you meet, how important you can be to the people you may never even dream of, there is something of yourself that you leave at every meeting with another person. When he says important, he doesn't mean in terms of vital. Only Jesus is that. But important in terms of what we can do. I've said this before, I'll say it again. You may be the only example of Jesus someone sees. That's important. That makes a difference. That makes an impact. And, and we leave those seeds, we leave those marks. I've spoken before of my mental health and my struggles with it. There are far, far, far better youth pastors than I am. And there are far, far, far better speakers than I am. But because of my struggles, because of the way I've grown, I have certain understandings and gifts that maybe some of them don't have. And so I've been able to minister to kids and adults with mental health struggles that they don't even know about. Whereas someone else may not have been as receptive to that. And flip it, If I'm somewhere else and trying to come up with games, I'm not very good at games. I know how to play basketball. But we trust him and we follow him and we know that he can work with our strengths just as he can work with our weaknesses. Rarely, rarely do people remember all of the words that we say. If you think back, at all of the pastors and the Sunday school teachers and the people in churches that have meant so much to you, the odds are you can't remember every word they said. But we remember the impact they had. We remember the example they set. That's what is important. That's what is remembered, the way we say the things, the, the way we show who we are, the way we show who we serve. And people remember the impact. They remember the help. They remember the love. They remember seeing Jesus. To continue on discipleship, I have another scripture. This is 1 Timothy 4 6 through 10. If you explain these things to the brothers and sisters, Timothy, you will be a worthy servant of Christ Jesus, one who is nourished by the message of faith and the good teaching you have followed. Do not waste time arguing over godless ideas and old wives' tales. Instead, train yourself to be godly. Physical training is good, but training for godliness is much better. Promising benefits in this life and in the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept it. This is why we work hard and continue to struggle, for our hope is in the living God, who is the Savior of all people, and particularly of all believers. He says, Timothy, continue to be nourished. You see, as I said, we're never going to have all the answers. But if we continue to be rooted in His Word, we continue to grow our relationship, we continue to to grow our faith, that shines through and that helps other people to see that they don't have to have all the answers either. They just have to know one. And then we learn more and we understand more. And over time, we can say more and we can talk about more. But we continue building that relationship. And that's why it was step one in what Paul is saying here. Be nourished by. Continue to to build your faith. Continue to have that relationship with him. Don't just stop and teach. You have to keep learning yourself too. Keep growing. And he says give instruction. And it's in a broad sense. And as with everything, do it like Jesus did. Look at how Jesus instructed people, how he taught people. It wasn't with anger, and it wasn't with hate, and it wasn't with malice, and it wasn't with fear. It was with hope and love and truth. He absolutely said things the way they were. But he said them in a way that didn't make people feel like they were the worst person in the world. He gave them the truth, and he gave them grace, and he gave them a way to move forward. And so we must do that too. And I love this line, and this is part of why I felt drawn to the scripture. Don't waste time arguing over godless ideas and old wives' tales. I want you to think for a second. Think of all of the arguments you've had. All of the arguments over politics, over sports, over entertainment. On social media, on text, in person, think of all of those arguments. How many of those are truly important? How many of those truly had an impact? How many of those, if we had a printout that followed us around every time we were trying to witness, would help our witness? I know that for me, I can say that I've had some dumb arguments before. Think about that. Think about what we do with that stuff. How passionate we get about that stuff sometimes, how adamant we get about our opinion with those things. None of them will last, whereas his his salvation, that's all there is. Now, I'm not saying don't care about that stuff, because we're going to. But that can't be the cornerstone of our lives. That can't be where we argue, and that's why Paul says don't argue about this stuff. Because what's it matter? Talk about it, sure, discuss it, sure, debate, of course. One of the things I sometimes say to teens, and it's more about bad jokes and things like that, like bad, not like I tell bad. (laughs) Imagine that you're in a circle or you're with somebody and you're telling all those jokes or you're having that argument or you're having your opinions about a politician or celebrity and you're just letting it fly. And then you turn and there's somebody you really wanted to invite to church. And you're like, hey, Hey, it's good to see you. Do you want to come with me? Based on what you just said, what would the response be? Think about that. Again, we're not going to be perfect. We're not. But we have to try to be like him, to look at the important things. I hit politics a lot because it's so frustrating to me how caught up in it the church gets, Capital C Church, and how we get so positive over these candidates that let's be real, they're all ultimately the same. I understand that there are differences. I understand that there are different platforms and all of that. But we've survived every single type of politician because God survives everything. God's church survives everything. Doesn't mean don't care. It doesn't mean don't vote your conscience. But I'm not saying that. I'm saying that our identity cannot be found in Our identity can only be found in him because he never changes and he never fails and he never lets us go and he's called us with all authority to be like him, to show him, to to understand the importance of the life that we carry for him. And again, I'm not saying don't care. But I'm saying put it into perspective and think about this. Are you more interested in being right or being an example? Are you more interested in showing yourself or showing Jesus? Now, 100% of us, including myself, including Andy, including everyone you could think of, has been on the wrong side of that at some point. Because we're human, we have. But because of Jesus, it doesn't have to end there. We can learn from that, we can grow from that, we can do better, we, we, we can overcome that. We can tell people, hey, I messed up, But God still loves me. I messed up, but His grace has helped me and I've moved forward. And and, and Paul talks about godliness and God-likeness, and it's such a powerful concept to be like Him. Nothing else is as important as that. No other argument we have means salvation. Only one. Being like Him means showing what he's done for us, showing his love, showing his grace, showing his hope, showing his truth, showing his example. Still do things, still care, but most importantly, have that identity because he is the savior of all people. He is the savior of everyone, whether we like him or not, whether we vote like him or not, he's the savior of everyone. And we should be the example, the light, the salt that shows the path to him. I have one more quote. Our Lord's conception of discipleship is not that we work for God, but that God works through us. Sometimes, inevitably, we look at this as a job. I think it was Sean that mentioned the checklist, the check the box. Sometimes we're like, if I go do this, this is what I'm supposed to do, and I'm going to do it. And we do it, and we do our best, and that's cool. Or this is how... We plan out in advance, this is how I'm going to witness, this is exactly what I'm going to say. Have you ever had a conversation like that where the person has clearly planned out everything? And it's like, hey, you know what? I really truly think that, that IU getting M'Baku as a recruit is a very important thing. And then they're like, what are you talking about? I don't know who that is. And then you continue because you're not paying attention to them. You're like, yeah, I agree. Like, it's, it's very cool that they also got this guy and that guy. And it's like they've p- clearly planned out all of this. And they're not, you're just kind of there. And sometimes we do that. Sometimes it's because we're nervous. Sometimes it's because we're scared. Sometimes it's because we just think this is what we're supposed to do. We don't work for God. He works through us. Without Him, we're nothing. Without Him, I absolutely could never stand here. With Him, all things are possible. We look around at the state of the Capital C Church. We look around at the way the world is. We look at the ra- around at our own lives. And it's easy to get discouraged. And it's easy to wonder, how can things be like that? Things are always like that. But more importantly, He goes with us through all of that. The whole of every day. When we face challenges, He's there. When we face tribulations and trials, He's there. When we need courage, when we need help, when we need healing, He's there. When we mess up, He's there. Helping us, lifting us, commissioning us because no matter what we do he loves us and so it's on us to show that to everyone else that's all I got